Welcome to the Tori Show. Today is the 29th of March. Wow, that was an excellent rendition. Actually, someone shared it in the Telegram chat room, and I was just like, whoa, she's smoking hot, and her pipes, dang. And maybe people, <laughs> I mean, she was distracting, right? So you weren't even listening to the song. It was like, nice pipes, dang. We need music like that more. We need more feminine energy. I mean, women are gorgeous, right? Why would you want a man woman? Women are so hot. And we like manly men. If I ever fell in love with a woman, it would be because she's smoking hot like that. Okay. Um, <laughs> just saying. So today is Monday. It's the end of March. Guys, did you see how fast March went? That was lightning speed. Lightning speed. So much has happened. So much has happened. I'm going to remind you of something that I had um, put together. And I want you guys to listen to what the president says, but also try to try to understand what the graphics were telling you. Here we go. If I give you one message to hold in your hearts today, it's this. Never, ever give up. I will fight for you with every breath in my body, and I will never, ever let you down. I'm with you, the American people. I am your voice. A lot of people watched it kind of thinking, you know, yeah, he has, he's told you that he's your voice, Trump, the voice. He's told you exactly what is to come. I was showing you what is to come and the best is yet to come, but, but there's going to be a few things that, you know, people need to have that boot on their face. Sometimes that's the only way yesterday. Uh, this is why I did movie night on Saturday. Yesterday I was out, um, for like, um, gathering for my daughter, you know, for children, 
of the church because, you know, they compete in sports. And I was socializing with some of the parents and, you know, a lot of them have taken the vaccine and they didn't like what they heard from me. And it's too bad. I'm not going to, you know, sugarcoat it. They should have done their homework. Some people did, some people didn't, you know, and, and that boils down to the responsibility we each have as our, um, as an individual, what you put in your body, what you do, it's all down to you. It's nobody else's responsibility to spoon feed you. It's your fault if you trust the government. <laughs> uh, it is your fault. Uh, you should never blindly trust anyone. Yet there are people that have responsibilities. And, you know, I uh, made it completely clear. I wrote a letter to my church complaining that the priest claimed that the vaccine was a godsend. And I said it was blasphemous as it has fetal cells in there. And that is totally against our religion. And, you know, he needs to address that and retract that statement and say that everyone has their, I mean, he doesn't have to admit, but he has to retract that statement because I will push forward to get him removed. And even if it's moot, the thing is, I will do it because it's not correct. Oh, well, that was his choice. No, 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 no. Stop. He's supposed to be spiritual guidance. He is supposed to, he's a sinner just like all of us, right? But he is supposed to be the one that has the responsibility to convey uh, God's message and promote our values and uh, faith in God. Therefore, he is responsible and he is very responsible for what he says. Very responsible. And I will hold him accountable for it. And no, they have not responded as of yet. I'm still waiting. So, you know, I can pretty much, you know, wait a little bit longer until they get the next one. That's the way it is. You should be holding everyone accountable always. And that's the way it is. You cannot claim something is godsend when it has everything. I mean, you're Christian. When was using aborted fetal cells okay? When was putting foreign animal DNA in your body okay? Mm -hmm. Which means that the churches are not where we're going to find God, I guess, huh? Because um, they work for the government too. I mean, that's the only way it is. I've told him that he needs to address that and retract his statement and to say that it is everybody's personal choice as to what they do and that he wrongfully said it was a godsend because he has no right to say that and he should be more responsible with his words, plain and simple. A lot of people didn't like it. It doesn't matter where you... I'm going to leave that for another time. It doesn't matter where you sit on the spectrum. If you're terrified that you're going to die, well, you'll see. I saw that uh, a gym is now no longer offering personal training sessions to people that have taken the vaccine because of viral shedding and their insurance company will not cover them because it's experimental. Money talks, money talks. Now, obviously the selected administration and corporations may force the insurance companies to pay so they all get on board, but that's all we'll see. Um, a lot of things are being addressed. I saw some really great um, uh, 
things going on in various rooms in regards to addressing uh, the forced vaccinations or the rumors that they will enforce um, COVID passports. I uh, put up a draft and I shared it with the Ohio group um, where, you know, we need to address this correctly. We need to streamline things. There are a lot of things wrong with the COVID passport, numerous things, violations of you know, international law, it's experimental, it's this, it's that, you know, everything. But what we need to do is use the laws we already have. Now, I'll bite. Mm -hmm. Obamacare, a lot of people will find out, um, actually took away many of your rights in regards to health. But the strategy I believe that everyone needs to take is the more streamlined strategy of calling it what it is, and it's called discrimination. Now, we have federal and state laws making it illegal to discriminate against uh, persons for medical conditions, right? So, therefore, by requesting a vaccine passport, they are requesting to see your medical condition. So, it's illegal to discriminate against an employee based on his or her medical condition uh, and making uh, uh, employment decisions. In, in fact, it's illegal to state that someone cannot enjoy a park, uh, exchange in commerce, or socialize in public or private areas based on their medical condition. So if we refer to it correctly, it would be discrimination of a medical condition because the, va the vaccine passport is indeed that. If we keep it simple, right, if we keep it simple, it's over for them. It's over for them just on that simplicity. Could you imagine how many people are out there that probably can't get the vaccine for actually having some form of ailment? Tons. So that means that uh, they can't go shopping anymore. They're not allowed to go to a park. Are they not allowed to go to funerals, weddings, school? That's discrimination, isn't it? So, in fact, it violates the very facet of almost every single constitution. The Ohio Constitution begins with the Bill of Rights, and it says all men are by nature free and independent and have certain inalienable rights, among of which is enjoying and defending life and liberty, acquiring, possessing, and protecting property, and seeking and obtaining happiness and safety. Now, if you're limited to what you can buy, what you can eat, where you can work, where you can go, you're really not enjoying anything. It's discrimination. And we need to make that clear. You need to use their words. We can use a shit ton of laws. We can use everything. But this is the way you do it. You you use their words. Use, use <laughs> their verbiage. They can't hire, fire, promote, demote, train, assign someone at a certain job assignment based on their medical condition. So your medical condition is in fact depicted on a vaccine passport. They can't, look, you know what shocks me is that companies like Target, Walmart, they were all fined millions of dollars for bribing people to get certain medications done. They're not allowed to reward you with gift cards to go get a flu vaccine. But for some reason, you could go get a donut. You get 
free service. I'm not going to be surprised if Netflix says, if you show us a copy of your vaccine card, you'll get six months of Netflix free. Watch that come. That's complete discrimination. Complete discrimination. So that's where we need to take it to. You call it medical discrimination. Discriminating me based on my medical condition. Period. That is point blank where you need to go. Because in that sense, they'll have to admit that Obamacare eliminated every single right you have. HIPAA was violated. There is no HIPAA. If you actually read Obamacare, it's done. It's finished. So we already have the ADA, uh, you know, for like Americans with Disabilities Act. That is before Obamacare. So we can use that to our advantage. You have to understand that. They've already taken away your rights. Nobody's ever read Obamacare. Just like everybody gets health care. You know what? I'm looking for health insurance right now. And it's just me and Phoebe that I have to insure. Because she's the only one without insurance. And I have to get insurance as a parent to insure her. So I have to get two insurance, right? Well, one is given to me, right? The other, I have to get it. I was looking $1,000 a month. For what? I have to be out of pocket 13000 in order to even get a copay. So I'm going to pay $1,000 a month so that if I exceed 13000 I can possibly have a copay. Are you kidding? If I need to spend $13,000 out of pocket for, you know, medical treatment, I may as well be on Medicaid because, you know, <laughs> that's what's up. It is so incredible. It is so incredible. So the vaccine, uh, you know, in this sense is a determination of your medical condition. So in fact, it's medical medical condition discrimination. They're discriminating against you based on your medical condition. Keep that in mind. That is the point you need to drill across to your AGs, to your state legislators. That's what you have to do. Now, I did a draft in between meetings this morning. Um, It's atrocious, uh, but it's just putting out what it is. And I'm basically telling my attorney general, you're responsible for consumer shit. You better send out a notice to all the businesses, both public and private. They are not allowed to engage in medical condition discrimination. They cannot discriminate against people for a medical condition. And because the vaccine passport will depict your condition, it is a condition. If you have a vaccine or you don't, that's, that's the definition basically. If you want to define it, it is a medical condition. So there you go. That's the only way we can simplify it as citizens and say, hold on a second. A medical condition is defined as, you know, something that has been diagnosed, something that you may or may not be taking, such as medication. Oh, hello, vaccine. There we go. Medical condition discriminating against one for their medical condition. It's over. You need to look at that angle always. And speaking of angles, I wanted to showcase something just to show you how, yes, you may be doing something, the right, the right thing and fighting a fight that you, but you're not going to fight it if you fight it wrong. And I'll show you what I mean. Hold on. I think I have that. Where is it? I think I have that video somewhere. Hi, everybody. Welcome. No, to this talk. that's not it. That's These not programs. It. Can- that's not it. There it is. Okay. So let me share this with you. 
And I want and I want you to understand why this lawsuit will fail. Obviously, it'll fail until my lawsuit is done. Once my lawsuit is done, then they can proceed. And I can't talk a lot about it, but I'm going to tell you why they're failing. Okay? This lawsuit that everybody joined into is very meritful, good job, but they're going about it the wrong way. You can't take down a giant like Google by saying that you discriminate against me. Listen to the arguments and understand why they will fail. I want to see if you can understand why they will fail. Quote, YouTube's mass deplatforming, which occurred just three weeks ago, three weeks before the 2020 presidential election, worked to severe damage of both the conservative content creators and the American voters who seek out their content, the complainant alleges. YouTube took this draconian action so swiftly that the plaintiffs received no advance notice and were not able to download their own content. This is why I constantly tell people, yes, it is very important that you have a presence on YouTube. Honestly, it's the only realistic way to earn a, a living making content right now. But if you grow on BitChute or Odyssey, you can turn that into a living. If you build an audience, you can you can support yourself because especially when you're against like kind of the mainstream narrative. So many of you, there's a subscribe star link in my uh, description, right? It's like a free speech version of Patreon. Those that back me there are like my most important, my most precious source of income or people that use the join button here on YouTube. Either one, because hard and they back me on subscribe. Now, Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act typically protects platforms from suits over moderation actions. And this law is likely to be the pillar of YouTube's legal, legal defense. Republicans have proposed adding a duty of faith clause, Section 230, which would make it easier for suits of this nature to succeed, but none of those efforts have made it into law. And creators who espouse real-world ideas that lead to bad things, but the problem is they're on the left side of the aisle, the one you agree with. A company representative said, we have a dedicated policy, to policy team that works to review our policies and adjust them as needed. We apply those policies consistently regardless of who owns a channel, you know, other claims. Now, again, so what? At the worst, at the worst, the worst thing I, I, I would, you know, understand is if you, if their channel was subject to more regular demonetization. Okay. That's an argument that I'll listen to. But the fact that you just wiped them off the platform tells me that you are not acting. Again, YouTube can do as they wish. I'm not saying they can't. They're a private company, okay? But if they're going to act as a content moderator, a content publisher, and not a content This is why platform, they'll fail. Then they do not get the protections of Section 230. This is the why they will fail. This is why they will fail. They know that you're going to come after that, and that's the problem. There's so many people that have poured in money into these lawsuits and they're going to fail, but don't worry. Tori's here. I've been planning that lawsuit, the one that I am working on, right? For since 2019, since 2019, I was waiting patiently for the time that I needed to get it. So I'm not going to tell you how I box them in, but they're screwed. And you know, I'm Greek, right? <laughs> Greek. 
Greek. And boy, we are the leaders of fucking strategy, okay? And I'm telling you, I am so patient, so patient. And if you are patient, and you know, okay, I say I'm patient because my actions show that they're that I'm patient, right? <laughs> but I'm not. You have no idea how hard I love Trojan horses, bitches. That is like my favorite one. So what I did, you will realize when it gets undone because you have to be patient. And I know it sucks. And those of you that have been listening carefully know exactly um, what I'm doing. But there's a reason I had three channels. There's a reason they didn't take me off right away. There's a reason, there's a reason, there's a reason. And boy, it's going to be glorious. And all those haters are going to love me. Like I said, hate me now, love me later. Because without my case, your case is in the toilet. And a big statement right there, right? Big statement. Not so much. Not so much. It's a factual statement. Factual statement. So, you know, when you're thinking of taking on Goliath, right, you got to have one little stone, one tiny itty bitty stone, and you got to nail that stone real good. So you have to be very patient. You have to think, well, what would their response be? How will I tackle this to ensure that I have the right box to put them in? It's all about putting you in a tiny itty bitty box where you come back with an argument and it's like your argument is going to dig your grave even deeper. That's the only way you win. That's the only way you win. You need your case when you bring it up in a court has to be a case where you file and you're handing them their own shovel to, to, to bury themselves. And that's how you do it. That is exactly how you do it. It's just a little tiny little stone that you need to use. Tiny one, tiny. It's so tiny, it's like sand. It's gonna be in their eye and it's gonna irritate the crap out of it until their eye falls out. That's how bad it's gonna be. Because in 2019, when I was like, all right, let me start this up. I was like, oh, not time yet. Not time yet. Not time yet. Not time yet. Oh, I knew when it was going to be time. So I did it. And then I did it again because I had to get them in the box twice. How to make sure. And then I did a third time. Boom. That was it. And then I had to sit and wait. Sit and wait. And boy, it's going to be fruitful. It's going to be so much fun to watch them dig their own grave. So for all my haters out there, like I said, you're going to love me later. Uh, it's going to be, you know, you got to do it the right way, man. You've got to put them in that box. Speaking of boxes, <laughs> what happened to all those boxes on the evergreen? Did they get unloaded? Oh, but it's a float. Um, so what happened? What happened? We just refloated it. How and why? How and why? How is that done? Who, what, when, and where? Well, let's get to some of the foreign news that talk about it. Give me a second. 
Let me get there. I'm going to find the right video. There we go. Here's what they said. Partially refloated. Partially refloated. But it's like they did everything they could to avoid unloading it. Sounds quite weird, right? Take a listen. After a monumental effort to move this massive container ship, this morning in daylight, the vessel stuck for days now appears to be afloat once more. Through the night, there were high hopes at high tide, then celebrations. Fourteen tugboats managing to finally budge the 200,000-ton container ship that's as long as the Empire State Building is tall. NBC's Raf Sanchez is in Egypt. Here on the grounds with the huge ship behind me, it's not hard to see how it got stuck. Now it's floating again. It's facing the right direction from officials in Suez, relief and optimism. Since last week, the stranded container ship seen here from space blocking traffic on the busy waterway. But a closer look at the Suez Canal shows it's narrower than it looks from above. 80 feet deep at the center, both banks rise to just three feet deep, while the vessel is longer than four football fields. Even the U.S. had been offering support. We have equipment and capacity that most countries don't have, and we're seeing what we can be, what help we can be. Billions of dollars of products pass through here every day, and every day the backlog of ships was building. On March 26th, the day the Ever Given ran aground amid high winds and a sandstorm, a satellite image shows vessels already backed up in the Gulf of Suez, and more arriving all the time. Now, good news for the ship and for the world economy. So much depending on such a narrow canal, soon to be working again. It's great news, Gear. Uh, certainly welcome for all those ships waiting to get moving, but how long will it take for things to really just yeah. even out and get back to normal? Well, the honest answer, Savannah, we don't know. We think the bow of the ship is still stuck. To just uh, give you an idea of how difficult it may still be, just think of if you're on a beach with wet sand and you try to pull up some of that sand, the suction you get, well, imagine that with a 200,000 ton ship. Then when it is free, some experts are talking about uh, weeks, maybe even months to restore the ships that are carrying all these goods around the world to get them uh, back on track, if you like. But clearly, economists believe that this is very, very positive. Oil futures this morning down 2%, Savannah. Showing hey, thanks for watching our YouTube channel. So just, Find your favorite recipe. So just to make it clear, um, it's still stuck. Okay. So it's still stuck. Just just making that clear because for some reason um, people believe that it's not still stuck. It's totally still stuck. So just pointing that out, making it clear. Let's make it more crystal clear. Reports this morning say engineers have managed to partially refloat a giant container ship stranded in the Suez Canal. The Ever Given and its cargo have been blocking the canal for six days now. Salvage engineers say there's a long way to go, but the former chairman of the Suez Canal Authority has told Sky News he's confident it could happen soon. The ship got stuck last Tuesday. Initially, diggers were used to try to evacuate the bow of the ship. On Wednesday, Egyptian authorities used tugs to try to tow the ship to freedom. Two days later, specialist salvage and dredging equipment was employed to try to refloat the vessel. And on Saturday, tugs managed to move the ship 30 degrees after tons of sand were dredged. 
More tugs have now arrived and salvagers hope to take advantage of a full moon and the resulting spring tide. Alistair Bunkle is in Egypt for us this morning. Look, how much hope is there, Alistair, that this could make some real progress in the next, what, 24 to 48 hours? Oh, I think there's real hope. And if you look at some of um, the pictures that have started to emerge, particularly on social media, um, close to the close to the site of the ship, it, it looks as though there's now some pretty clear water between certainly the stern of the Ever Given and the, the banks of the Suez Canal. It, it's not over yet, though. The head of the Dutch rescue operation, who are working with the Egyptians, was on Dutch radio this morning saying, well, it's quite what, well, it's still not a piece of cake. They, they have much more work yet to do, but it's obviously a really big step forward for the ship. Uh, they need to see when they finally do fully refloat it, whether or not there's any damage to the ship, and uh, that might delay things further still. But what they're doing now, this morning, is bringing in in a couple of hours' time, another tug, which they hope will be able to pull it free once and for all. But it, it's certainly good news. Uh, it's tempered hope, I think I would put it like that. But um, it's a much better situation than it was this time yesterday. So it's been partially floated, right? So it's not fully afloat. The operators just, of Egypt's Suez Canal say technical or human error. I just error wanted to, to, to make that clear, right? It's partially afloat. And, you know, Google Earth has now blocked the Suez Canal so people can't look, right? But, you know, for whatever reason, you know, everyone else is saying, oh, it's unstuck now. And it's like, that's not what the news are saying. <laughs> I mean, either everybody's lying. Well, maybe they're they're all going to catch in on the lie later. I just wanted to say that, you know, it seems really weird that, you know, the news are all discombobulated. They don't even know what they're talking about anymore. And everyone just thumps it, you know, reactive media kind of thing. What we've been saying for a long time, reactive, reactive, reactive. Kind of like, oh, yeah, by the way, um, hey, wait, let me show you this. This is from ABC News Australia. Hold on. We didn't see that one. Let me show you. It's partially refloated. Again, I repeat, partially refloated. Here we go. Partially refloated. Let's state that. Partially refloated. Cheers erupted and horns sounded as the massive cargo ship Ever Given, which has been diagonally stuck in the Suez Canal for nearly a week, was partially refloated. The breakthrough came at just over 5.30am Egypt time as a flotilla of tugboats was used to push and pull the 200,000 tonne vessel, compelling it to straighten up. The head of the Suez Canal Authority said the 400 metre ship was now 80% in the right direction with the ship's bulbous bow forcibly pulled from the canal's eastern bank. Crews have been working around the clock to free the colossal container ship that's been causing headaches since it ran aground last week. The Suez Canal is the shortest and fastest shipping lane between Asia and Europe, with more than 12% of global trade using the route. More than 350 ships carrying everything from crude oil to cattle were caught up in the traffic jam as the Ever Given blocked transit in both directions. Each day the Ever Given remains stuck, it costs the shipping industry millions of dollars and oil prices surged due to the uncertainty.
More work is needed to completely free the ship and authorities say the ship will undergo inspections before being moved. An investigation is also underway into the cause of the accident. The website, Is That Ship Still Stuck?, was built to answer one specific question. The answer right now is sort of. Talia Olatia, ABC News. So 5.30 a.m. Egypt time is about 5, so it's about 11 p.m. Eastern time. About Are they seven hours or eight hours? I think it's like seven or eight hours, right, ahead. So I'm going to say about 11 p.m. Eastern time. It's sort of stuck, right? It's sort of stuck because they took part of it off. So you're getting miscommunication. Egyptian news are saying that it's still partially stuck. But the question is, why aren't people allowed to have footage? What's going on here? And if it was dislodged, where are they going to check for the damage? Are they going to let it float down the Suez with possible damage to the hull so it could just get stuck somewhere else? These are all questions. Now, eh, the thing that we have to realize is they did everything in their power to make sure they didn't unload it. <laughs> That's for sure. That is 100% for sure. Speaking of that regional area, I think it's very important to point to things that are happening in that area. Yesterday, as I said, I got together with, um, uh, you know, church family. And, you know, we were all talking about um, hate crimes. And apparently all of them missed the memo that, you know, the shooting in Georgia wasn't a hate crime. It was a soy boy that had a sex addiction and probably didn't have enough money. So he shot up the pimp, the wife, and all the hookers. And nobody wants to talk about the actual human trafficking aspect. They all sat there and were like, wait a minute, what? And I was like, did you read his confession? He said he had a sex addiction. I mean, what does that have to do with shooting up Asians? It's because they're all prisoners of that pimp and his wife. So they were just like, oh, and I, because I asked them, wow, about that hate crime shooting. And I was referring to the Colorado one. And they were like, what? You mean in Georgia, right? Asian hate crime. That's so real. I was like, what? <laughs> what? No, wrong one. Talk about Colorado. Because, you know, there's a lot of bombing going around and we're, we like to use UAVs and shit. And so the Syrian got pissed off and went off and shot. That's, that's like a legit hate crime. You know, hate against Americans because... Syria is under attack. There's nothing going on in Syria. Well, I thought I'd show you guys how the tension is really high in Syria. Damn, that Idlib man, I told you, that's the battleground. But it just goes to show how uninformed people are. You know, I even mentioned how jealous I am of the new AR-15 my um, daughter got. And I was like, it's called the Saint. I want it so bad. I'm like, buy another one and we could trade because I really, it looks so sexy. And they were like, oh my God, AR-15s are assault rifles. I was like, nope, it's just the longer handgun. Uh, not really. So misinformed. People are so, oh no, no, no. We just need to give the, the guns up. I was like, right? The government has all the guns and not the people. And they were like, yeah. And I was like, all right, you can go to Venezuela for that. That's not happening in America. We have guns to defend ourselves from the government. And they just, looked at me like I fell from another planet. And I was like, damn, you guys have been living in the United States of America for like, what, 50, 60 years, however long you've been here, and you still don't get it. It's so sad. It's very sad. It's very sad. And it just goes to show that, you know, either they lived in a bubble, which was work, family, work, family, and 
we're completely oblivious, hence why the country is in this place. But you know, then you have to think about it, right? And I have to think about it like this compassion, right? Because we can easily forgive children who are afraid of the dark, right? So people that are in the dark, you know, they're afraid of the other dark, whatever they don't know. The unknown always scares people, right? These people have never touched a gun, never felt the gun, never shot a gun, nothing, right? They just see shootings and they just assume we just need to take all the guns and it'll make it go away. We'll just give it to the really powerful people and we just trust that they will make sure we're safe and that they're not going to abuse their... I'm sorry, I can't say it with a straight face. Again, we can easily forgive a child for being afraid of the dark. But it is freaking tragic. Tragic. It's one of the biggest tragedies of life. When men and women are afraid of the light. Right? That's the tragedy right there. People who are afraid of the light. That's the most tragic symptom of any society. It's okay to be afraid of the dark. It's okay to be afraid of the unknown. It's okay. But it's tragic when people are afraid of the light. It's so insane. Like I was so excited, you know, my daughter got this AR-15. It's called the Saint. It's so freaking awesome. I want it so bad because <laughs> it's so cool. I could go target practice, you know, it would be so much fun. And they looked at me like I was like some monster. And I was just like, oh. nope, guns need to be taken away. I'm like, what? Guys, literally, it's called the saint. I kid you not. But anyway, I just looked at them like, are you serious? Like, what? Do, do we live in a different reality? It's, 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 uh, it's, it's, you know, it's an assault rifle. Um, what? I just, what? How are these people in the United States of America? How are these people voting without knowing their basic rights? Damn, you know what we need to do is bring gun education to schools. I kid you not. We should literally have gun education in school. We should be taking kids in middle school and high school to gun ranges so they learn how to responsibly use it, to learn how to defend themselves, defend their nation, defend the people, and know that that is the last result. You never use a gun. You never use a gun. You never, responsible gun ownership, you need to know how to dismantle that thing in like 10 seconds and put it together. We need to bring that back. We need to teach people how to hunt. Maybe we should do some archery classes, right? Oh, what if my kid gets hurt? Well, we'll make sure they stay in their lane and we'll social distance <laughs> between lanes. I mean, that would be so incredible if kids learned how to handle guns learn the responsibility of it, bows, right? Bows, archery is incredible, right? Um, teaching people, you know, the things that they only do in girls and boys clubs, which I, I don't even want to get into that. And then Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts, I don't want to get into that either, but they do some stuff that's important. But I think we need to bring actual education of being, you know, Responsible gun owners. I mean, 
I, you know, I, I've, I've had a gun for as long as I can remember and I don't go shooting it unless it's at the shooting range. I mean, like seriously though, guys, why don't we have that back? Why don't we teach our children the rights of it and make them proud, make them feel empowered. You know, it gives you another sense to know, oh, wow, you know, I just learned how to shoot a bow and arrow, you know, push comes to shove, you know, I can shoot it, you know, I can, you know, hunt for my food. Um, and I know how to shoot a gun. Uh, if, if my country is ever in perils, I can draft my draft and I know how to use it. Like, why not? It's just so, ugh. anyway, speaking of war and rumors of war, but this one's a real war. We've been talking about it since 2018. Let's take a listen to what's going on in that area. 14 medics were injured when a Syrian artillery hit a hospital in rebel-held town in northwestern Syria. And hours later, Russian jets also hit rebel training camps in northwestern Syria near the Turkish border. The rockets landed at the entrance and the courtyard of the hospital. A woman and child were among the seven civilians killed when mortar rounds hit the hospital in Atarev, located in an area of northwest Syria, where Turkey has a military presence. Now, this hospital is located underground to avoid being targeted in the conflict-prone area. Attacks on hospitals are common in the Syria conflict and are mostly blamed on government and allied forces. The health directorate in the rebel-controlled northwest said this particular attack is the first since February 2020. Peace be upon you. I'm the engineer Omar Halak. Go in, stay calm, they were just stay calm. As you can see, the shelling at Al Atarib Hospital is ongoing until now. For our own safety, we came here. We asked the medical staff to leave. The hospital is out of service. There were five injuries among our medical staff members, including the health director of the liberated Aleppo, Dr. Nawar Al Kurdi. Hopefully, he will get better. So far, there have been seven martyrs. You hear that? Martyrs. ...were carried out by a Russian warplane and targeted the Bab al-Hawa area that is located at the Syrian-Turkish border. The strike resulted in several injuries and there is no confirmed information related to the number of martyrs. There are huge fires and our teams are working to extinguish them. The spokesman for the National Army said that Russia, which backs the government in Damascus, sought to destabilize the last rebel stronghold in Syria. But the strikes did not signal an imminent major assault against Idlib. A statement had been sent to Russia asking for the attacks to stop immediately. But there was no immediate comment from Moscow. Right, so that was one report. Wait, let's go to another one, and then we'll talk about it for a second. Because, you know, um, NATO's really having a hard time right now. They're having a hard time because they can't back Turkey. If they do, that's a problem. And if they don't, that's also a problem. So they're kind of stuck. Take a listen to this report. Okay, for my, for my people listening to it on a podcast, civilians bear the brunt of airstrikes on northern Syria. Tensions flare between opposing forces. So they're putting out fires because Russia bombed them. Missile attacks on a number of locations near the Turkish border have claimed several lives. 
At least one person was killed and several aid trucks destroyed near the Babalohawa crossing. A separate strike on a hospital near Aleppo claimed the lives of at least five patients. It had been built underground for protection, standard practice in the rebel-held rebel territory. Turkish-backed opposition fighters took control of parts of Aleppo province in previous offensives. Oh, Erdogan, you're just being Erdogan. Attacks on hospitals have been common in conflict, usually blamed on government forces. Opposition activists claim Russian warplanes had carried out the latest missile strikes. Look, no masks. The recent attacks have angered Turkey, who had asked Russia to secure an end to the strike. None of them are wearing masks. Can we see this? Oh, there they go. They're in the garbage, though. I'd wear them, too. I'm <laughs> just saying. The two countries have supported rival factions since the start of Syria's civil war. Pretty interesting, huh? So Russia is attacking Turkey. Uh, so, so, so interesting. Nothing to see here has nothing to do with, um, you know, Biden striking Syria because he'd strike Syria because there are Iranians there. Okay. Okay. That sounds super fair, super right, super off point. In other news within the United States, we're having the uh, George Floyd um, trial today. I watched a few opening statements. It seemed like the judge was trying to keep things kind of, hmm. Uh, you can't say that he may have or did or that the suspect was acting like you could say appeared to be. You can't say he was resisting. You need to say appeared to be resisting. That was an eye roll. I don't know if you could hear it through the microphone. So um, in other news, we'll, we'll cover the opening, uh, a few of them. Uh, I think it's important to talk about uh, what's going on within our state, uh, within our nation, basically, right? Uh, and how things are happening. But before we do, we need to understand how Hitler used total war to commit genocide. Because then what we're going to be looking at at the second half hour will make sense to you as to what's really happening and why they're really acting the way they do. Here we go. Timeline documentary. My name is Dan So, and here I am in a Lancaster bomber cockpit, one of the few remaining Lancasters from the Second World War, to tell you about my new history channel. It's called History Hit. It's like Netflix for history. Hundreds of history documentaries on there and interviews with many of the world's best historians. Others had felt the anxiety of waiting at home. Many had lost friends and loved ones. Their grief still palpable years later. They understood that a global war meant destruction. They were men, real men who lived and might be living still today. But for luck, the cruel stroke of chance impelling death their way, we, the spared of war, may wonder under heaven why weren't there. But this didn't mean that people were prepared for the extent to which the Second World War devastated civilians. Essentially, all wars up until World War II, you had a situation where even if there were huge numbers of casualties, they were largely military casualties. World War II was really where that changed. 
things became much more flexible. Civilians couldn't get out of the way, so they were going to get hurt. Lines of advance changed very rapidly. The front line changed very rapidly, so civilians tended to get caught up in things a lot more than they had done in the past. There was a huge change in the way in which policies towards civilians were implemented by the different powers. What's often called a process of commutative radicalization occurred in the policies of almost all the major belligerents in the war. Total war saw a shift in the corridors of power towards policies which allowed for violence against civilians. The most grotesque example of violence endorsed against civilians occurred under Hitler's regime in Germany. It began in the 1930s and grew to its unimaginable zenith with the annihilation of millions in the Holocaust. Hitler and the Nazi party rose to power against the background of economic crisis and the Great Depression. When people ask me, you know, how on earth did the Nazis come to power, I, I would say, well, you have to understand that Germany in the late 20s, early 30s was in a massive crisis. Political crisis, an economic crisis, a social crisis, the system, you know, was breaking. You mean like the crisis we're in right now? <laughs> the crisis right now where we are supposedly under this control virus? Where we are now being scared with the Ebola? Because they brought that on, right? Of course. Where we've shut down our businesses willfully because we decided to trust the government, right? Where we're now being asked, Give, show me your papers and you can get a free donut. That shit that the Germans would have said, show me your papers and get a free donut. Show me your papers and get a gift card. Show me your papers and you'll get a discount. That's the type of stuff the Nazis did. We are right there. They're burning our nation down. They are taking your guns. Where are your papers? Where are your papers? Oh, I'm sorry, you can't enter. You don't have your yellow star on. I'm sorry, you can't do this. I am sorry, you can't do that. Oh, and by the way, oh no, we're under alien invasion. Everybody trust us. Wait, the alien said that they won't fight us if we give up our guns. Look at them, they're big and scary. Rawr, run. <laughs> Freaking same old playbook of these Nazis. Breaking down. Hitler was appointed Chancellor of Germany on the 30th of January, 1933. By February, the Reichstag was in flames. Hitler, now Chancellor, has announced that the fire was the work of communists and was intended to be the signal for a Bolshevist uprising throughout the country. Pelosi just told us that the Capitol riot was done by communists and fascists. So it was part of the rise. I'm just translating it into 2021. Germany has been placed under a system of martial law. And for that reason, the United States is now under martial law. By March, Hitler was consolidating his powers. And by March, Biden was consolidating his powers. Using them against civilians. And using them against civilians and all these people here doing their little high Hitlers are the mass Karens, 
the media. I mean, come on, man. It's a pandemic, right? Do you need to be reminded that people are dying in a damn pandemic? They're just dying, period. I had someone say, well, you know, my loved one died from it. Yeah, your loved one probably had heart condition, cancer, which was all true. And it's like, come on. Are you serious? The fact that we've only had like a thousand deaths from the flu in 2020 through 2021, but we had half a million in COVID. Hello? Like, how stupid. It's, it reminds me of that song by Tom McDonald. People are stupid. So stupid. That's like, it's so bad. Like, how is this okay? How are people alive? How are they allowed to drive? Right? How can they function when they don't see this? It's so blatant. You know? Just like, hmm. It's totally. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Not Dachau. The first Nazi concentration camp was established. Oh, you mean like the ones that they have in Canada where they stick you in the hotels to quarantine you? The concentration camps were initially for political dissidents. So the political dissidents. Oh, you don't have the papers? You're going into these nice little accommodations that we have for you. First people to fill them were communists. Um, the and we're going to fill them up with fascists. Nazis used the burning down of the Reichstag as an excuse to bring in a law that essentially gave them the right to lock up anyone indefinitely. You mean like all the Trump supporters that they arrested for the Capitol thing, some that were there, some that they're just claiming they were there. You mean like that? The ones that are held without bail, but the chick that stole the laptop and was colluding with Russians to sell it to them is out on bail? You mean kind of like that? Oh, okay. But as it got closer to the war and the war progressed, then they changed. By the 24th of March, 1933, with the passage of the Enabling Act, Hitler had obtained the legal authority to govern by decree. And so oh, you mean just like Joe Biden saying, well, I don't care what civil activists say, we're doing these COVID passports because, you know, people in my administration, they own clear and we're going to make a shit ton of money, so tough. The liberties were suspended for four years. Basically, he took over everything which gives a state the power to exercise power. And you mean what Joe Biden is doing right now? I mean, whoever's really running the show, right, Ron? And he used it very ruthlessly. They made it clear that anybody who resisted them was going to have an extra time. We need to, like, redo this. I need to, you know what? I need to do this. I need to take this and have those words sounding, you know, but then I need to translate it into 2021. And then all these Heil Hitler guys will be Karens, liberals and stuff like that. Cause they need to see what they're doing. You have no rights. What do you mean? You're not wearing a mask. Follow the rules. Yesterday, actually, I wanted to say that last night after, um, uh, the get together with all the kids was done. I popped into Mayer's, right? The supermarket. Cause I needed to get some heavy cream and cause I love heavy cream with my coffee. Right. And I was out. So I popped in to get it. No mask. I was shopping. Nobody bothered me. Okay. Yeah. It was like nine o'clock at night. It wasn't that busy, but it doesn't matter. So I went to the self checkout and 
you know, I was like, oh, um, it's not recognizing my perks number. And I have one phone number that I use for over 10 years in all supermarkets. And, you know, it's just so that I can get my discounts. And it wasn't working. Said, yeah, well, if you haven't used it in our store, it's expired. And I was like, okay. But anyway, the lady that came to me, I, I, you know, I had asked for help. She came and she was at a distance. She was like, um, do you need a mask? And I was like, no, thank you. But would you like me to wear a mask to make you feel comfortable while you can assist me? She was like, yes, I would. And I was like, hold on. So I put it on and I said, if it makes you feel safe, I'll wear it while we interact. And so I put it on, she helped me. And then the minute she left, I took it back off. Pretty simple. So I think uh, that approach really helped because it made it seem like, okay, so you're shitting your pants. Um, you know, why not? Why not entertain you so that I can show you that I respect the fact that you don't know any better, that you haven't read up on anything, and that you believe everything they tell you. It's it's not their fault. But, you know, all these people that you are seeing on your screen, and for those of you on podcast, it's thousands upon thousands of Nazi soldiers doing their Heil Hitler symbol. Let's not forget this. Hold on. Please tell me that I have it here. Is it? Hold on. Let's see. You may have never seen something like this, but every day John rummages through the garbage looking for something to eat. John here, like many Americans, had a job, but the government took it away with the COVID lockdowns and regulations. John may never experience death or intense symptoms from the virus, but he's forced to live in extreme poverty. You might think, what might I have in common with Americans like these? They're not like me at all. You couldn't be more wrong. Like you, these Americans know the value of work, but unlike you, they haven't been allowed to work to make ends meet all year long. We also have in the legislation uh, direct payments, which were not in the Republican bill, to America's working families. I would like them been bigger, but they are uh, significant. In terms of the bonus that corporate America received versus the crumbs that they are giving to workers to kind of put the schmooze on, for $1.60 a day, you can bring hope to an American. Your $1.60 can mean Americans like John here can have clean water and food to eat. Call today. Again, what could amount to crumbs could make all the difference in the world. Call now and bring hope to the new medical tyranny they now live in. Remember that commercial? Totally sums it up, right? Totally sums it up. And that's exactly where we're at right now. We're right there, right there. And I, I'm that commercial was made a few months ago, right? To point it out to you. It's the way it is. This is <laughs> 1984. Let's just watch a couple more minutes of this and see just how similar it is to 2021. That very quickly established their. Oh, authority. look, burning books. You mean censorship? Never underestimate. Not allowed the that information. State to there we go. Dominate a population and control a population. How do you control a population? He said by censoring, by burning books. 
burning books now is banning shit from the internet, which is information, digital information. Now unchecked by democratic restraint, Hitler had the power he needed to wage legislative war on the people who had always been his target. So who is it that is supporting this regime reign of Hitler-esque actions by the, by the selected Biden-Harris administration? The damn corporations. Can you realize who your enemy are? The damn corporations. And think, they're all fighting for grand governance of this biodome. Why? Who have they made a deal with to keep you in chains? They get to be in power. They get to be safe. They get to enjoy things as long as... People he believed were a threat to his thousand-year right. Jewish people made up less than 1% of the population. But Hitler was intent on removing any Jewish influence on German society. New laws enable the dismissal of Jewish professionals from government positions. But see, they're in a little bit of a pickle right now because Hitler chose to target 1% of his population. The corporations have chosen to target 70% of the population. Can they win? Of course they can. They have money, right? Of course they can. They have money. They control what you hear, what you eat, what you see. Hmm? How you work, how you walk, how you drive, how you interact, how you have enjoyments. So it's a no-brainer them. In September, under the direction of Joseph Goebbels, Jews working in the media and publishing were dismissed, removing their voices from German cultural life. Oh, kind of sounds like banning all patriots banning all conservative voices, right? Banning anyone that's not saying what they're saying, right? Totally sounds like the same thing. Oh, man. Five, the passage of the Nuremberg Laws enshrined persecution in law. Jews and gypsies were no longer citizens of the Reich. Married and extramarital relations with Aryans was also forbidden. Huh, so I guess the Jews and the gypsies that are going to be excluded from being citizens are the ones that don't have vaccine passports because that's what they're doing with the vaccine. You're not a citizen anymore. You have no right to go to a park. You can't go to a ball game. You can't work. You can't shop. You can't go to the doctor. You can't go get an education because we said so. You're you're on person. You're done. You're finished. You're either part of the Reich or you're not. I mean, you're either going to get on board with the COVID passport or you're not. Um, can we, can we, you know what? I'm going to task this to my, to my um, counterpart. I want this clip to be heard loud and clear, but the subtitles will be talking in 2021. The Nuremberg laws paved the way for all subsequent laws and regulation. And there were more than 1,000 anti-Jewish laws, they all went back to the Nuremberg laws, and these legal process more or less also paved the way for the final aim of the Nazis to exterminate the Jews. The laws paved the way for the persecution which total war enabled. 
Oh, you mean like COVID passports? And persecution. You mean like getting beat up at Bed Bath and Beyond? This is where I need a um, clip for it. I'm 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 going to put a clip over here while they're talking of Bed Bath and Beyond beating you up. Uh, people arresting people in stores for not wearing masks. We need to show them. We can't tell you. We've got to show you. Violence against Jewish people had been rife throughout the 1930s. But the most well-known incident... Maybe we should show the black-on-Asian crime here. ...was Kristallnacht, the night of the broken glass. And the white supremacists being attacked all the time. When on November 9th, 1938, over 7,000 Jewish stores were looted, nearly 200 synagogues destroyed. We should show the burning of the buildings and the federal buildings and anything else they don't like. 91 Jews killed and 30,000 transported to concentration camps. They say punch Nazis. By the way, I mean, what kind of PR firm has someone working for them with pictures of a depiction of someone punching the president of the United States and saying, kids punch Nazis. <laughs> so let's just stop that right there. I think that's going to be a fun project. And we will make it go as wide and far as we can, because this is how it is. If you look at it with perspective, that's where it is. How are they going to say we're the Nazis when they are? They're, ref they're deflecting. They're telling you who they are. That's the way it is. That's the way it is. And you know, here's how they also deflect, which by the way, I can read you. <laughs> I already responded to another email I got from Dominion's law firm, uh, but I kind of told them I can't wait to see you in court. Uh, here we go. Developing now, Dominion Voting has filed a $1.6 billion defamation lawsuit against Fox News after false claims of voter fraud in the 2020 election. Dominion CEO says, quote, the disinformation campaign waged against our company has caused us severe damage and undermined trust in American democratic institutions. These lies also have threatened the personal safety of our employees and customers. No amount of money will repair the damage done. We're asking for $1.6 billion, though. I added that at the end. <laughs> Joining me now, CNN Chief Media Correspondent Brian Stelter and CNN Legal Analyst Ellie Honing. Brian, tell us about what Fox is accused of here specifically. Uh, profiting off the lies, the big lies that followed Trump's loss in November. This is the second lawsuit from a second voting technology company targeting Fox. You'll remember Smartmatic sued Fox, Rudy Giuliani, and Sidney Powell for $2.7 billion. The case now beginning to work its way through the system. Now, this is Dominion, which was falsely accused of being in cahoots with Smartmatic to rig the election. You had commentators and hosts like Lou Dobbs and Maria Bartiromo fanning these flames, coming up with conspiracy theories, promoting them on the air for many weeks. This went on and on. And that's part of the argument from Dominion. They say Fox knew what it was doing. They say Fox took a small flame of disinformation and turned it into a forest fire. Uh, Fox has no immediate comment on the lawsuit this morning, but in response to the earlier lawsuit, they said they believe the charges are meritless and they're proud of their 2020 election coverage. You'll remember that Lou Dobbs was kind of forced out of his job one day after the Smartmatic lawsuit. Fox claimed it was kind of a coincidence, but uh, we will see if there's any further fallout as a result of this second lawsuit from a second voting technology. So you mean Lou Dobbs called out Smartmatic that we know now was fixing elections. There's evidence of it in Haiti, 
in the Philippines, around the world. And here he is saying, let's see who gets punished. We want to see punished freaking Nazis, man. We need to get that. The Tory says, wake up project. We need that. And I'll keep it naked with no branding. So that way losers that don't want to give credence to where it comes from can reuse it. Uh, because it's very important that we show the people, uh, you know, what's what. Remember, Smartmatic was corrupt. Remember, Smartmatic was caught fixing elections. And yet he refers to it as, oh, Lou Dobbs did that expose on them. And, oh, he got fired. Let's see who's going to get fired at Fox. You mean you want an echo chamber and then you get salty when people go somewhere else? Speaking of somewhere else, I mean, we talked about it um on the Sunday show, but you know, people are posting things and your own people that are supposedly patriots like Jordan Sather are banning you, right? They're reporting against you. This is where you need to take a stand. This is where you need to push forward. You need to push forward. You need to let them know where you stand. You need to hold them accountable, keep their feet to the fire. When they're dis, uh, how do I say this? When they betray the people that they claim to serve, you need to make that known. Your company. Ellie Hody, what jumps at you as to the legal merit of this case and what Dominion will have to prove here? Yeah, John, Fox is in a tough spot here, and here's why. The First Amendment gives media companies very broad protections, but it's not unlimited. Dominion has to prove two things to make its case. One, the statement's false. We know they were false. Everybody knows they were false. There's no proof of them. And second, that Fox knew they were false or was recklessly disregarding the truth of it. Now, here's the thing to remember. Just a few days ago, earlier this week, Sidney Powell, the lead purveyor, one of the lead purveyors of this whole election fraud theory, said, my statements were so ridiculous, so obviously false, that no reason... That was a lie, too. ...reasonable person would have taken them seriously. That mm. puts Fox News in the difficult position. You mean like Rachel Maddow said, I'm not the news, I'm just entertainment, so you can't sue me? Either saying, yeah, we were in on this whole sort of scheme with Sidney Powell, which is not going to help them, or we were so gullible, so non-credible in reporting that we actually did believe Sidney Powell. Wait, are they educating people on credibility of reporting when they push the Russia hoax in our faces and down our throat for four years. Can you see the audacity right here? How disgusting. Those ridiculous theories. Either way, they're in a tough spot here. Put up the all-star team that was there before uh, of who's named uh, in this lawsuit. Um, these are all people who were named in the suit. You can. Oh, so they went after Maria Bartiromo, Tucker, Lou Dobbs again, <laughs> truth maker, Sean Hannity as Rudy Giuliani, Janine Pirro, Sidney Powell, and Mike Lindell. Hmm. Hmm. It's an interesting list. Read the names for yourself. They are not specifically charged in this suit, Ellie. The reason I want you to see this is because at one point, Tucker Carlson, he explained to his viewers why he wasn't letting Sidney Powell come on. He actually went through this like 10 minute thing where he described at length what she was accusing right. uh, of happening in the elections. But he said he wouldn't put her on because she couldn't provide evidence. 
Does that put Fox in a weird way in even more trouble, Ellie, because you have someone on TV saying, we don't have the evidence here. We don't have the evidence here. Mm -hmm. And if elsewhere on the network, they're promoting the lies. What does that tell you? Exactly, John. As to the issue of whether Fox knew, right there, of course they knew. And Dominion points out in the lawsuit, we notified them. We told them dozens of times, anchors, producers, that this was false. We demanded retractions. And what's really interesting in this filing, which I just looked at, is Dominion alleges that Fox had a very specific reason, intentionality for pushing these lies. What Dominion alleges is Fox started losing viewers after the election because they were deemed not sufficiently pro-Trump, not supportive enough of Donald Trump. And so the allegation Dominion makes is in order to bring those viewers back, they knowingly and intentionally spread that lie. Well, they corrected it, apparently, because last night they had the guy on spreading more <laughs> lies. Brian, listen to this. They go after people that. Did he just call President Trump the guy spreading more lies? <laughs> hashtag Russia hoax. Hashtag never forget. I guess you'd call them uh, lean toward the right. And they wave American flags. In many cases, they're waving the American flag and they love our country. It was a zero threat right from the start. It was zero threat. Look. Uh, a lot of the people were waved in and then they walked in and they walked out. So, Brian, that was the 10 o'clock insurrection hour uh, on Fox TV last night where the former president gushes about the insurrectionists, saying they caused no harm. There were five people dead after that insurrection for one reason or another there. I can't wait to see these people get, a account, get held accountable for their crimes against the people. I can't wait, because when they come, man, it's going to be so hard. It's so hard. Speaking of media doing a disservice, Benny did a really good piece on um, <laughs> how nobody wanted to talk about Joe Biden falling up the stairs. Falling up the stairs. Like, that's a talent right there, okay? Falling down the stairs? Hmm, okay, we all are victim to that at one point. But falling up the stairs? Dang. Special. Face planted in front of the world, the homepages of MSNBC, CBS News, Washington Post, Los Angeles Times, and the New York Times did not mention it. Look at the screenshot. The New York Times found space above the fold to report how three feet is now acceptable CDC coronavirus guidelines for children. No space for the three feet president. Look at the screenshot of how the American press covered this debacle and how the British press covered it. Astounding. We truly do live in a George Orwell reality. Total disinformation. We sound like a broken record here, and it deserves to be said. The only function of the American corporate press is to protect the Democratic Party and crush any narratives that may hurt their masters. But surely those in our comedic class will have the bravery to make fun of clearly the saddest, most mediocre man to become president in a generation. It's so easy to make fun of Joe Biden, it's almost unfair. The last honest, brave comedian in American culture, Robin Williams, had a field day with Joe Biden nearly a decade ago. Check this out. Oh, we still have comedy, though. We still have great comedy out there. There's always rambling Joe Biden. What the <laughs> Joe says that even people with Tourette's go, no. <laughs> no. What is going on? Joe is like your uncle who's got a new drug and hasn't got the dosage right. I'm proud to work with Barack America. He's not a superhero, you idiot. Come here. 
when FDR was on television, there was no TV back then. Come here, Joe. <laughs> Sit down. <laughs> These are, this is comedy gold from a decade ago that Joe Biden provided. How good would Williams's material be today? So where is the cutting Joe Biden comedy? You just had a president fall down the Air Force One stairs Saturday Night Live. This is, a, this is, this is an alert, okay? Saturday Night Live writers, a president fell down the Air Force One stairs. This is comedy gold. Remember just a couple decades ago? Anything? Nothing? Of course not. Comedians today want jobs and Netflix specials and good press. So they shut up and do as their masters tell them to do. And the number one rule for these Muppets is to never make fun of your rulers, corporate Democrats. Huh. Huh. Hey, Benny. That was hot, right? He called it out. Corporate Democrats. Who are their leaders? What? Bite the hand that feeds you? Just obey. 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 And if you obey the NAU, it'll be good to you. It's not the rule on this show. Here we ridicule because we must. It's an American tradition, and our leaders need it now more than ever. So I took to the streets this week to ask regular Americans to take the Biden three-step challenge. Watch. This guy is about to execute a perfect Biden challenge. One, two, three. This is your family? Can we do the family Biden challenge? All right. Can we do it all together? On one, two, three. Wow. The bra oh, Such bravery, guys. Such bravery. It's actually a really great clip. You can check out the whole video at Turning Point USA. The true press in America and the real truth tellers in this embarrassing political landscape that we live in right now are independent online creators. Meme lords are the political cartoonists of our day, and we celebrate them on this show. They are the last honest people in our modern political dialogue. Without further ado, this is the best Biden falling memes. Why did you cancel us, Joe? Why? Why would you cancel us? New modifications have been made on Joe Force One. No. Oh, Donald, don't do it. Oh, those are just sour grapes. Don't. Oh, no. What a drive, though. What accuracy. You'd be in the PGA Tour. Okay. <laughs> That's a good one. It's important not. Okay, we have to admit those memes were really good. And uh, the Stairmaster uh, chair, the chair going up Air Force One was bad. And President Trump's golf hits were spot on. Lose your sense of humor. <laughs> we here on the Betty Report have stressed the importance of satire in the last line, as the last line of defense, in holding our ruling class accountable. But not everyone is laughing, and not everyone gets the joke. Often the targets of political ridicule live in such a protected cotton candy cocoon that they cannot handle the criticism. We've reached a point where the corporate media have become so broken that lines of parody and reality have become completely blurred. If you dare mock the corporate democratic elite, you will be punished. This past week, the New York Times falsely labeled and libeled popular, hilarious satire publication, The Babylon Bee. Okay, now let's be straight on this one, all right, for a second. The Babylon Bee even though it's satire, damn, it looks like a lot of truth is there too. And so they're upset. The only reason they would get upset is because it's freaking true. That's the only reason they would get upset because it's true. It called them a far right information, misinformation site, sorry, 
and said the B traffics in misinformation under the guise of satire. That's an exact quote. These are the types of headlines the New York Times considers misinformation. Biden visits southern border to play despacito for migrant kids in cages. Hysterical. Mexico installs stairs to keep Joe Biden out. Very funny. Hurt all the feelings, though, at the New York Times. Joining us now to talk about this attack on satire and political humor, the CEO of the Babylon Bee, Seth Dillon. Seth, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Benny. Seth, how did you get away? How did you get away with being a satire site for so long? I mean, you'd think that you wouldn't be able to hide in, in plain sight being a humor you know, site on the internet. It's a great disguise, putting on satire as a mask. Uh, you know, who would have thought it would work so well? We can deceive the masses this way. Uh, look, Benny, this thing is totally absurd. I mean, the New York Times is be clowning themselves right now with this, with these like crazy allegations. I mean, we are, it's so clear when you go to our website, you look at it, we're a satire site. We've been around a long time doing satire from day one. So it's, it's pretty inexcusable for them to not even just suggest, it would be wrong if they just suggested that uh, there's a question whether we're satire. They actually flat out defamed us by saying that we're not satire. We're pretending to be satire. That's just ridiculous. Yeah, the Babylon Bee is one of my favorite sites on the internet. I believe many of our viewers probably love your content so very much. Are you considering legal action? Because what they what this seems to be is a direct attack on your existence, trying to get you kicked off of social media so that our viewers, myself included, uh, fans of the Babylon Bee wouldn't be able to get your content. Yeah, well, we have to take it seriously. We're, we're talking with legal counsel about what our options are and what we should do. And, and you know, ordinarily, I would just say with something like this, okay, maybe they made a mistake and maybe we can correct this by bringing some attention to it. The problem is that this is a recurring problem. The liberal media keeps bringing this stuff up over and over again, where, you know, Snopes is, is trying to say that we're uh, uh, deceiving people on purpose. CNN personalities are saying that. New York Times is now, this is multiple times the New York Times has said something like this. Um, so what they're trying to do is get this narrative to stick where they paint us as a source of dangerous disinformation so they can have us deplatformed. Right. Um, it, it's extremely irresponsible. It's inexcusable. And we can't let these lies stand because these are considered reliable sources. Like it or not, New York Times is considered a reliable source. Right. Next thing you know, our Wikipedia page is going to say that we're not a real satire site. We, we dabble in misinformation. We're trying to deceive people. That's right. So what do you say about the entire attack on comedy? In the first place, it seems to be the attack is on the effective tools that the right now owns, memes and comedy, and they are perpetually going after those forms of communication because the left can't meme. And, and I'm going to tell you what, when the video comes out with the Hitler thing, I guarantee you it'll be banned almost instantly, even though it'll be kind of a satire, kind of like, you know, those Hitler things were used. You're not allowed to mock them because people see truth in mockery, right? No fun allowed. <laughs> You're banned, right? I mean, <laughs> I still can't get over the title. Mexico installs stairs <laughs> to stop Biden from visiting. Like that is so awesome. But the thing is, why and why and why are they doing this? Because they know the jig is up. They know that people are waking up. And you know, Facebook and all of them are being called out for what they are. Take a listen to what the Epic Times put out. Being in Washington, what springs to mind? Big pharma, oil, tobacco. Well, big tech is now America's biggest corporate lobbyists. Facebook and Amazon, at least, are at the very top. Last year, 
They spend nearly twice as much as big oil and big tobacco. NTD's Patrick Hayden reports. A public citizen report says big tech spent $124 million in lobbying and campaign contributions during the 2020 election cycle. That's bigger than any other year. Amazon and Facebook were the biggest of all company contributors, with a combined total of more than $38 million, roughly half each. From 2018 to 2020, Amazon spending increased by 30% and Facebook's increased by a whopping 56%. Big tech companies also recruited 40 more lobbyists in that time. And 94% of lawmakers who oversee privacy or antitrust issues receive money from a big tech political action group or lobbyist. The report concludes that Amazon and Facebook's increased spending reflects the compounding challenges they face in Washington. It also says that big tech has amassed extraordinary wealth and power due to a broken political system that works for corporations and not the people of the country. Patrick Hayden, NTD News. Very big tech. Wall Street surged in the last half hour of trading today as people have Hunter returned to record. Okay, let's talk about very big tech. Like I said, attacking them dead on, right, with uh, lawsuits for silencing you, for being conservative is not going to work, period. You've got to get them by the law that is applicable in all. So for those of you that are, you know, focusing on the 230 section, it's not happening until my case is done. I'm telling you that. And that's a bold claim to make, but I'm 100% sure that it is the only way to go. And I'm glad to see that a massive law firm also thinks so. Um, <laughs> it is going to be fun. So now, what do we say to big tech? We need to make them irrelevant which we have. So they've creeped up on other platforms as well. Hmm? They've creeped up on other platforms. Now, in if, if by mid-April, things have not gone according to the path we need them to go in regards to cyber, I'm going to have to be moving my shows uh, to uh, Freedom Stream Net for... Um, where Patrick Berge has set it up and, and he set it up for me. I haven't set it up yet. So that way it can always be there for everyone. So I'm very grateful for him for doing that, but we might not need it. Not yet. That is, uh, you know, they're attacking podcasts now because, you know, Spotify took me off faster than they did Alex Jones. Right. I was one of the top, uh, shows being streamed on Spotify. They removed me about um, six months ago, seven months ago, I want to say seven months ago, because uh, I was one of the top people being streamed. And on iTunes, no matter what anybody says, I'm one of the top 50 solid for a whole year. Sometimes I'll even creep up to 10. Uh, and I heart as well. So that's why I moved my platform to one that slots advertisements in the beginning and the end because corporations love money. So if they're making money, it's going to be harder for them to remove me. Um, and that is, you know, how you work, you know, you, do you push where, you know, it's going to come and that's how you do it. You know, you use their weaknesses. If they're making a ton of money from my advertisements, see, that's what I should have done in Spotify. 
but I didn't want to barrage it with advertisements. I thought it would be fine that they would leave it alone. But now they've called out saying that podcast platforms are not doing enough to remove people. So now they're going to be cutting off uh, streaming internet, radio, podcast. They're going to be banning them left and right, left and right. So um, it's uh, it's pretty incredible, you know, how things are moving. So I should have opted in when they came to me saying, hey, you know, you've, you're like one of the top, you know, 100 most streamed podcasts on Spotify. Take ads. I should have done it. I should have done it. And I didn't. Um so now I've moved them all to one place. So that way I can have, uh, you know, corporate uh, America <laughs> think twice. You know, that's the way it is. Uh, so that'll be good. And I'm grateful to Tempest, who has been leading that effort on migrating it over slowly and figuring out how to do it. So, um, yeah, I should have I should have let Spotify do it and I didn't. So that was a mistake. I, I thought there was more time, you know, timelines change. Um, and look, it's it's now the timeline. Uh spot on, you know, Tempest, uh WH Tempest, who's my audio archivist. Um, and I have been working on this for about a few weeks and Lo and behold, last Friday, they put out that thing saying that they need to start censoring podcasts. So this was the right time. Um, you know, I guess uh, Spotify wasn't the way to go at that point. So uh, they're going after it. These uh, internet radio stations are going to be shut down. Uh, they're going to be taken down from everywhere, from SoundCloud to you name it. Uh, they're going to be um, taking it down quick. So we've been working on uh, various projects in the background for it, but it's not timed yet. So <laughs> I got my website and I'm going to be uh, putting in the Freedom Stream uh, net that uh, Bergy set up and it's gonna be pretty, pretty awesome. I don't want to, um, President Trump is not deploying his own Social media, let's get that straight, okay? I wanna make that clear. He may be supporting people that are doing it, but he's not doing it himself. What President Trump is gonna be doing uh, once he's officially named by the corporate media is uh, creating the national public internet and you can bet your life on that one. Well, everyone, I actually have a sponsor for today's podcast brought to you by BetterHelp. You know, in a time like this where we're confused, we're anxious, we're not getting answers to questions, there's strains on relationships, it's always important that we speak to licensed professionals. And uh, going out to the hospital, they want all of these things and your insurance demands all of these things and you just don't want it. You want to speak to someone about things like anxiety, stress, depression, self-esteem, anger, sleeping, whatever it is. Well, at BetterHealth.com, you can actually do that online. You can book your weekly uh, video or phone sessions with an with an actual licensed professional who specializes in these areas. It's important to live happy lives. And as my listener, you get 10% off your first month by visiting my sponsor, BetterHealth.com slash Tori. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Tori. 
God bless. Now, uh, moving along, <laughs> let's talk about Vance. Record high. The Dow rose 453 right points, 1.39%. SP 500 gained 65 points, or 1.66%. The NASDAQ added 161 points, around 1. Point. Argentina says it's going to default on its debt again. Don't think it has nothing to do with you. The U.S. taxpayer is on the hook for a lot of it. So now... Don't cry for me, Argentina. Do you guys remember the G20 summit in Argentina where I was talking about the IMF and how they sold their souls? Well, look at it bite them in the ass. Don't ask me why. Argentina's president says they just don't have the money to pay its $45 billion debt to the International Monetary Fund. They just don't have the money. They're not saying they're not going to pay the debt. They just don't have the money to pay it. So they want to negotiate better terms with the IMF. Fergus Hodgson is the founder of Econ Americas. It's an economic intelligence firm with a special interest in South America. He tells me Argentina just restructured their debt last year. So I asked Hodgson, obviously didn't follow the new terms, did they? Well, yes and no. Actually, the previous administration, Mauricio Macri, did make some reforms. So, for example, he did away with the fixed exchange rate. When I first went there on a visit in 2015, there was a fixed exchange rate and a, and a thriving black market, the, the blue dollar, they called it. And so Macri did reduce, get rid of some of those. There were other price controls. There was more transparency regarding the rate of inflation. So there were some reforms, but unfortunately, the populism of Argentina actually brought back the uh, Christina Kirchner. So the, the former first lady of Argentina got back into power. Her husband has passed away now. And so she reverted back to the old ways. And so as soon as she got into power, actually, she joked about how during a downturn, you want to invest more or spend more. And so this was the writing was basically on the wall. Yeah, kind of similar to what we're looking at here, unfortunately. And the IMF kind of traditionally, they don't really like people defaulting. They don't really like countries defaulting on their debt. They prefer to lend more, you know, new yeah. debt to, to, to cover the old debt. Are we just going to see the same thing here? Yes and no. The problem is that some of the debt, the debt that Argentina holds is with what, what they like to call vulture funds, funds that go after distressed debts and like to fight it out in court. So, they'll, so what, what Argentina would like to do is basically renegotiate the debts and get better terms. But the vulture funds will basically say, no, thanks. We'll take you to court and make you pay. And so they will make it more difficult to roll the debt over and get away from upfront payments, which in my view is actually necessary. Argentina needs some tough love to say, Pay it up now, make the reforms, enough is enough. Is this a new thing, these vulture funds? I've never heard these people play a no, part in no, these negotiations before. No, 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 not with the IMF directly, but basically during the previous, so Mauricio Macri was in, I think, for three or four years, but prior to that, the vulture funds had bought much of Argentina's debt. And so there was some tension because Argentina was trying to re renegotiate it during the Kirchner regime, and then that debt got carry forward through the Macri administration. And those vulture funds are still around, basically. They still hold to Argentina's debt. And what happens is that they will take Argentina to, to court and say, you cannot pay anyone else until you pay us first. You follow what I mean? So there will, there will be a, a long-term legal battle. They'll say, you can't just stiff us and make other deals with other people. We'll take you to court in New York. <laughs> and what happens is actually 
you might think Argentina could get away with it, but the banking system will say, no, we're going to comply with the legal orders from, let's say, U.S. district courts. Wow. Interesting. Never knew. And on the I- Interesting how the IMF is a bully. We've been saying it for how long? Hmm. But now we're seeing that come to fruition. Now, I'm going to talk about this for a second because it's important for later. You should just be aware of this. Before the pandemic, when everything was all systems go, do you ever rent shared office space when you went to a new city? WeWork is a big player in the space, buildings in the world's biggest cities. Tried to go public in 2019 at the height of its business, but that fell through. Its founder and former CEO Adam Newman is a pretty eccentric guy. But it looks like WeWork is going to get another shot at public life through a very trendy special purpose acquisition company, or SPAC. Two years after its infamous failed IPO, WeWork is taking another shot at going public. And this time, it will take a more unconventional approach through a SPAC. First, a shell company will be listed on the stock market, and then it will acquire WeWork. It's a funny arrangement because investors buy a stake in the shell company before they know which company it will acquire. So will they be happy owning WeWork during a pandemic? Any economic disruption where people are not leasing or there's unemployment goes up or anything like that can really impact their business model. WeWork was valued at $47 billion before its 2019 IPO. But now some analysts think it's only worth $9 billion. WeWork leases prime office space in the world's biggest cities and then rents the space to other companies or individuals. But rental length is usually far shorter than the lease period. It's a very risky model. It works great if you have full occupancy. Uh, You're entering into 10-year leases, let's say, for example. So you're on the hook for 10 years. This time, Insight Partners, Starwood Capital Group, Fidelity Management, BoX Capital Management, and others are providing the funds. But not everyone is convinced by the timing. Yeah, and I'm scratching my head, and so are many people. I think the bet here is that the economy will improve. People will go back to the old ways of life. 2020 and 2021 have seen a record number of SPAC listings, but few have performed well. If something. So I'm just going to tell you now, WeWork is going to be using another model. And I'm telling you this now so you can understand how that's going to change later. Later. And I can't go too much detail into that. But there's a couple things that I want to cover before the end of today's show, which I didn't even do with a coffee break. Uh, One is um, Joe Biden actually talking with um, the EU in regards to vaccines. This is pretty startling because EU summits don't usually have an American president uh, commenting. So this is quite important. I want you guys to listen to this because it's very important out how to get on top of a third wave of COVID-19 infections, but they struggled to overcome differences on how to speed up the vaccine rollout and ensure enough supplies. Only about 10% of people in the EU have had at least one shot, a much lower rate than countries like the UK and US. He was a much appreciated guest at Thursday's virtual meeting of EU leaders. Joe Biden was the first U.S. president to speak at a European summit since Barack Obama. 
EU leaders are relieved that the US has recommitted itself to the transatlantic partnership. We agreed that we have a strong interest in working together to keep global supply chains functioning and to prepare already for the next um, challenges to come in this pandemic in an area of pandemics. The United States is an important and valued partner to the European Union. The global race for vaccines was the most important issue at this summit. And even though the chance to talk about it with Joe Biden was welcomed by all, some also had criticism. We as the European Union are the part of the world that is not only supplying itself, but is also exporting to others. That's in contrast to the United States and the United Kingdom. Merkel said the EU opposed vaccine protectionism, but still wanted to make sure that the EU's own population gets the much-needed shots as soon as possible. Vaccination rollout has been slow in Europe, and leaders are frustrated vaccine doses produced in the EU do not always stay there. That's why stricter rules on EU exports could be introduced. This situation justifies us putting in place controls on exports. I don't accept us being questioned on our morality. At the same time, all EU leaders agreed to further ramp up production facilities within the EU. Well, uh, Brussels bureau chief Alexander von Neumann has been following the EU summit and joins me now. Uh, so five hours of debate over vaccines. Have EU leaders made any progress on how to boost these lagging vaccine supplies? Well, as expected, they agree uh, and stressed once again that they are committed to accelerating production deliveries and deployments of a vaccine within the European Union. But to do so, they, of course, rely on pharmaceutical companies. Uh, that is why in their joint statement after the summit, they once again said that those companies must meet their obligations. And uh, that is uh, probably why they did not block uh, the European Commission's decision to strengthen uh, ex export rules. Uh, this mechanism is now in place and can be used to block vaccine exports, even though not every member state is happy with that. But even the German Chancellor Angela Merkel said after uh, the meeting that uh, she's against protectionism, but it's also important to protect uh, the citizens of the European Union. Yeah, that's the fight within the fight. There's been a huge row between the EU and Britain over vaccine exports. There's even been talk of the, the ban that you talked a little of. Where do things stand now? Is there more trust or more trouble ahead in this, in this case? Well, at least instead of only trading barbs, both sides are, not talk, are now talking with each other. Uh, ahead of the summit there, they issued a statement saying that uh, they are working to uh, create a win-win situation and to expand uh, vaccine supplies for all citizens. Uh, but of course, they still need to come up with a solution to the problem. And when you look at the numbers, uh, EU Commission President Ursula von der Leyen presented to EU leaders, they are very telling because according to those numbers, uh, 20 million 
uh, doses uh, have been exported from the European Union to the UK and the European Union is saying they have not got anything. So you can understand that the situation is still very tense and a solution uh, has to be found. Otherwise, the European Union is threatening to block vaccine exports to the UK. From that tension, Alexandra, where do we stand now here in Europe? What does this mean for the average European eager to get their jab? Has anything actually changed? Well, I would say that this summit has not changed anything, uh, but we still have some good news. Um, vaccine developer BioNTech, for example, has started production at a new plant in Germany and AstraZeneca, um, and it happened actually yesterday, has requested an approval for its uh, Dutch plant. And that uh, could mean that uh, first deliveries could happen by the end of this month. DW's Alexander von Naaman in Brussels. Thanks so much. Ah, so they don't want to share their vaccine. Joe Biden speaks up because they don't like the way things are going. I see, I see, I see. Well, you know, it's funny. I keep talking about Nazis and, you know, how this is the Holocaust again. Here we go. Guys, we have a 90-year-old Holocaust survivor. Hi, my beauty. Thank you very much. Uh, I am, in fact, a survivor of the Holocaust. And the first thing I have to tell you, that even then nobody told us it was done for our own good. We all knew what was happening. And when I think today, when I see people, I think of the Yellow Star, which gave everybody liberty to aggress me, to, to insult me, to call me a carrier of disease, to spit on me even. I love you. I would like to tell you that this is worse. It is more insidious. It concerns more people. It is, it is, there is a hypocrisy in the public narrative that is absolutely unbearable to say that we're doing this to protect the old. I would love to die in a state that gives me freedom to live in here. I have already outstayed my welcome by many years, and my life expectancy is probably not great, but I would gladly exchange this for the lives and livelihoods and happiness of generations that come after me to live their lives as I have been. To, to have masks, to see people defile their children with masks is, is something totally unbearable to me. Well, we've been talking about Nazis for months, actually a year, and it's the same playbook. When is the rest of the media going to get on it? When are they going to talk about it? When the boot is on your face? When the concentration camps come? Do you not see that they're already here? Yellow star, yellow passport. This is unacceptable. And you know, it was all done by these groups, activists, affinity groups. And you know who led them back in the day as Secretary of State? The one and only. I want to congratulate all of you who have come to Mexico City in person and online. 
to be part of this groundbreaking summit. You are the vanguard of a rising generation of citizen activists who are using the latest technological tools to catalyze change, build movements, and transform lives. And I hope this conference provides an opportunity for you to learn from each other and discover the tools and techniques that will open new doors for activism and empowerment when you return home. All over the world, young people like you are driving progress. In Colombia, two young college graduates fed up with violence in their country used Facebook to organize 14 million people into the largest anti-terrorism demonstrations in history. In Iran, we saw young people using Twitter and YouTube to communicate with each other and the world, despite a government crackdown designed to keep them silent. And in India, a 14-year-old high school student from Mumbai used social networking to link together half a million people who sought solidarity and support in the aftermath of the November 2008 terrorist attacks. You have all traveled unique paths to get here today. You come from different cultures and countries and speak different languages, but you all share a common commitment to engaging with the world, to using every tool at your disposal to bring people together to solve problems. And that makes you the kind of leaders we need as we work to meet the challenges and seize the opportunities of the 21st century. Governments can't do it alone. Citizens, organizations, businesses, universities, everyone with a stake in our shared future must take responsibility for shaping it. That's what we call 21st century statecraft. So thank you for being on the front lines of progress, and I can't wait to see what all of you do next. Huh, that was from back in the day. Wait, you want to hear about this Truman Project? What they have to say? They literally say they own the machines. Which machines? They also say they can lie. They lie. Listen to them. Their own words. Um, but at the end of the day, you're an individual, um, you have your own biases, you know, algorithms underpinning some of these sites are, are probably still, you know, directing you to that kind of, you know, echo chamber of, of folks who think like you or, or write or type using the same words like you. And so I'm, I'm, what is going on psychologically here and how can individuals who are maybe listening into this conversation um, what what is helpful for them to know as they're um, receiving information and filtering through that information? Well, too bad it's not Halloween. Otherwise, I would put on my Captain Obvious suit right now. Um, so listen, we have freedom of speech. We don't have freedom of anonymous speech. So it, it starts with sources and methods. When you follow any one of these uh rumors like Clinton is going to be the VP pick for Bloomberg. Where did it start? Right. So you have to keep peeling that layer until you find where, where these things should actually start. I know there's a difference between different speakers in these press conferences that are relaying information uh, to us. And, and we know that uh, Fauci is giving us a, a warm fuzzy. The head of um, uh, the Army Corps of Engineers is giving us a warm fuzzy. These are folks that are are respected in their uh, fields, and we know not to take what they say with a grain of salt and 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 measure it uh, with with all of the um, experiences and um, and respect that they entail. And they give a lot of you know the comfort that we all need in order to um, you know take the right steps. In other cases. I mean, these these people don't have, uh, you know, the credentials and experience to be telling us the things that they that they are telling us. So 
I think it starts with understanding the source and, and credibility of, of that content. And I think what you're starting to see, right, with the Apple App Store blocking certain apps being uploaded that aren't coming from credible organizations, that's starting there when you're starting to see Twitter and other uh, platforms starting to put banners, uh, you know, warning you of, of, um, of the provenance of certain content. It, I think, frankly speaking, there is going to be a moonshot against that idiocracy that's going to start rising up because this is an ailment that can only be solved by science. And so all of us are, frankly, have lost patience with, with the anti-science rhetoric that has been more prevalent over the course of the last decade. And we're going to come out swinging after this. This thing's not going to be able to take all of us out. And that's too bad for everybody else because we're going to start imposing a, a different worldview that is going to be uh, fact-based. And the machines are going to be supporting of us. And thank goodness we control most of the machines. Huh. Thank goodness we control most of the machines. So basically, censorship. Did you hear him say, Fauci gives us the warm fuzzies. So does the Army Corps engineer give us the warm fuzzies. I want you guys to be paying attention to their words, all right? These people will kill you. They will kill you. They will do it. They've done it already. They've killed people to make their point. Wait till you see the companies involved with the Truman National Security Institute, Truman National Security Project. This is another layer closer to that core because <laughs> the core's literally out of this world. And the thing is, these are the people that believe that they know best because they are abiding by whatever leader they follow. And it is very important. This is our moonshot. Interesting. When I tell you that this is a battle for life and crimes they're already being committed against humanity. It's not an overstatement. It is unfortunate that some of you took three years to hear the truth. It is unfortunate that people that began seeking for the truth decided to distort it. It is unfortunate that people that guise themselves as patriots are really not. Do you remember that person that I was talking about that stabbed me in the back? Only a few hours after I did it, InfoWars put them on, on blast, showing exactly where they sit. Need I say more? This is exactly how you see them. They band together. They band together and show you who they are. It is important that when someone tells you who they are, you listen. And you listen very carefully. And I'll tell you why. Because they're watching like I've said, I've received a lot of discovery on a lot of people. And it's not something that I need to make public now. But they're everywhere. You don't believe me? Look at this. This is John Sullivan. Look at what he's saying. This is why when that troll came into the page putting White Lives Matter and then started saying, why are you racist against white people? What's wrong with you? Are you a liberal? And I kicked the whole post out. This is why. I couldn't believe it. I was like, bro, 
knew I knew something was fishy. I knew something was coming gonna come up no matter here. Like I just want you to see. Like this is not something that's just like made up. Like uh, look at the channels they're following, right? They're following all of them. March for white lives, right? I told you about that. I was even concerned about January 6th, right? Remember, but I said, since the president said so, I'm going and I'm going to say, let's go. The president said so, let's go. What have I been saying for months before the election? Don't go to rallies. Don't go to events. Don't go to events. It's very important. Oh my gosh. So here's one March for our white lives Sunday, April 11th, 1 PM, all major city centers. So basically I would assume Capitol buildings. If I'm wrong about that, correct me, but it could just be like the middle of the city. I have no idea what they mean by that, but I'm sure like more details will come out soon. Uh, take it's time to take a stand against the anti-white mob, against the anti-white media, against the anti-white government, against the anti-white educational system. Mask and social distancing are encouraged. Okay, they 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 upgraded it. They said mask and social distancing distancing are encouraged. So they're they're advocating for uh, proper safety. Uh, <laughs> uh, so as damn, you can see, they're everywhere. I have tons of them in my channel. Some of them are admins in your groups. I already know who they are. Some of them are my admins, I per se. I'm not saying they are, but we watch everything. Uh, we can see everything. If I can see what Schiff is doing, I can see what others are doing. And I can play dumb real easy too. So they're in your channels. They're watching everything you're posting, everything. And, uh, you know, everybody can get a burner phone number, right, to register. You see how that works? And someone asks, why isn't Jaden in jail? Well, that's a great question. Why are others that are not, you know, uh, a threat in jail? Why is Freddie Klein in jail when he possibly wasn't there? He, I, I believe he wasn't there. They're just saying. Why are all these people in there with no bail? But the lady that stole the laptop and was colluding with Russians is out on bail. Think about it. These are the concentration camps. These are political prisoners. Why is Austin Steinbart thrown into jail? Political prisoners? I mean, I'm flattered. <laughs> Remember when I had told you guys in November of 2019 that I had a massive download of all my podcasts. At that time, I had my podcasts on SoundCloud. That's where I was archiving them, right? Massive download from Yuma, Arizona in 2019. Massive. When I say massive, we're talking massive in one day. But anyway, I digress. Again, all these people without bail, in jail, right? In jail, all of them without bail. But Jaden, who's been at three shootings and happened to have a camera, hmm, who's Antifa proud, is out 
and he owns guns and trains people how to dress up for attacks and shows people how to use their weapons. Oh, but he should, he should totally be out. This is it. This is it. I hope you can see it now because it's really important you do. It is so important that you see it now. It gets down to it. Remember, educating ourselves is always a bitter task. But the fruit of it is damn sweet. Because that is a weapon no one can take from you. No one can take that away from you. Remember, it's not about living. It's about living rightly and kindly. So as we are angered, think, are you going to wait for that boot? Or are you going to start doing what you can? Because you're only free on paper. On paper. Only free on paper. Use it. Use it while you still can. Use it while you still can. So on that note, guys, I'm going to have to bid you goodbye for today. And I will see you tomorrow, same time, same place. In the end, we should do whatever it takes. These tripping in the world will be dangerous. Everybody's circling in his fortress. Negative, nepotist. Everybody's waiting for the fallen man. Everybody's praying for the end of times. Everybody hoping they could be the one. I was born to run. I was born for this. Whip, whip, run me like a race horse. Pull me like a rip cord. Break me down. Up, I wanna be the slip, slip. Word up on your lip, lip. Letter that you rip.